born to die that he might give eternal life that I might live Welcome to Yankee Arnold Ministries. Dr. Arnold will be with you in just a moment, but first, we want you to know how much we appreciate your prayers and financial support. You may help this radio ministry by donating online at yankeearnold.com or by mail at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Again, that's 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Feel free to send Dr. Arnold your questions or comments to yankee at yankeearnold.com, and he will respond as quickly as possible. Now, here is Dr. Arnold with today's message. The Holy Spirit never leads you contrary to the Word of God. The Holy Spirit never leads you into sin. It is the Holy Spirit, not unholy spirit. So the Holy Spirit of God, God never leads you to do anything wrong or unholy or ungodly. That's not his nature. He can't do that. He never tempts you to sin. You know, like here's the, the Lord and he puts his pretty little girl up here in front of you and say, yeah, he don't do that. Now the devil will do that. So we have the word of God given to us and we're supposed to know it so that we can walk according to it. And then look in verse 19. Singing or speaking to yourselves. Anybody in here ever talk to yourselves? Well, a lot of times, don't we sing in order to hear ourselves? I sing all the time. I'll whistle. I'm, I'm whistling or humming or playing my harmonica. Sometimes I'll get my guitar and I'll come in here and nobody's here. <laughs> and I just have myself a blast. Sometimes I sing a few little tear-jerking songs. And I'll sit, I'll cry and I have to stop and wipe my eyes and blow my nose and sing some more. But I'm so glad because nobody's here. And then sometimes I forget that this thing has got a microphone that goes all the way back to the, uh, the kitchen. And then I've had some people come all the way up telling me, say, Yankee, do you know we can hear you? Oh, I still at this time do not have a clue how to turn them off. So I just let them listen to me. But every one of us, you need to learn how to hum in your mind or sing. It don't have to sound good, but sing to yourself. If you don't see, you're going to be complaining about something, whining about something. Learn to look at things in a more positive direction because that's, it, it cheers you up. Listen, sometimes people are not there to cheer you up, encourage you, exhort you, rebuke you, and you're, all, you're alone. Learn how to do that for yourself. That's why David said that he encouraged himself in the Lord. David, probably no doubt, serenaded a whole bunch of sheep. And whenever he got through singing, the sheep would all stand up and go, no, I doubt it. But he probably sung an awful lot upon those hills and sitting there and half the night and so forth and watching because he loved the sheep. But Bible talks about singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord. Another scripture talks about with the hymns, singing hymns. I think your music should be either to the Lord, for the Lord, or about the Lord. You stay out of trouble. 
that way. Now, I've been told, I don't try to sing a certain style because I don't know. All I know is I just sing the way I sing. That's, that's it. And I got a, a voice like a potato grater. But it's good for Firehouse Five type songs like we do. And I did it because of the youth ministry that we used to have. But some people have a beautiful singing voice, very pleasant to listen to. And I, and I love good music. But no, even though I used to be strong with rock and roll when I was 18 and under, my sister and I, we used to jitterbug all the time. We said, what's jitterbug? Never mind. But we did it. And I, and I had that in my head. And then, of course, my daddy was as country as they come. And he used to always sing country songs. And I, and I heard it. it gets in your brain. And I don't know if all that you know, affects how you think and so forth down the road. But as much as I love it, I still don't want to sing country songs. There's a the desire there. But I, I got to limit it to the songs that I believe honors the Lord. They are either to the Lord, for the Lord, or about the Lord. So I try to keep it. It'll just keep you out of trouble. There's so much. Remember, the, the minister of music in the Bible was the devil. I believe he was in charge. He was in the very beginning, but I have some things I want to say about that a little bit later. And you don't want the devil to lure you away because you listen to the wrong things. God tells us right here in 19, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to the Lord. So whatever those psalms are. Now, this is for the person who wants to serve the Lord. If you don't want to serve the Lord, do whatever you want because it ain't going to matter. This is only for those who want to open their eyes, be able to see, do what the will of God is. And now he says, look, this is what you should do. And then in verse 20, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 21, oh, this gets interesting. This is, good. This is some good stuff in here. But remember this, when it says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. One to another. You said, does that mean the husband's? Got to submit to the wives. Well, that's an escape closet. I mean, it doesn't apply to us. Let me just mention this. Well, we don't have any trouble with understanding that wives submit yourselves to the man's authority. But the man is supposed to submit to the woman's needs. So the man is to submit and meet the woman's needs. So that's going to take a lot because it's hard to understand what they really need. That's a lifetime project. You say, how come? Because they change so quickly and so often. And a lot of times, and I'm not saying it's against the women, they are more emotional. Uh, a man is more, you know, headstrong and dictatorial and whatever and solid and he goes by facts than a woman. He goes, my emotions with children straight down. And you have no clue why over something so small. But it's okay. That's all right. But the woman has needs, and the man's supposed to understand that and try to help her. So this, these scriptures down through here is not talking about, uh, you know, one is, you know, has more spiritual insight than the other. It takes the Holy Spirit, as he said up here in verse 18, for the man to fulfill his responsibility and for the woman to fulfill hers. They both got responsibilities. And God's the one that laid it out. 
And then he, he uses an illustration of uh, not only our union together, but our unity together. So a man and woman can be joined together in holy matrimony. That's the union. We're husband and wife. But you and I know that you can have union without unity. Right? So it's great whenever you have not only union between husband and wife, because you're married now. Now, but you also want unity, peace. Everybody working together. So he uses the relationship of the husband and the wife. And as he uses the relationship of husband and wife, showing you that you need each other. And then he also relates that to Christ and the church. And when he relates it to Christ and the church, he uses the emblem of the, the body. Here's the body, there's the head. Now you and I know that we need to have union, head and body. Would you like to run around without a head? No. But there has to be union in order to have unity. And this unity is that I've got this one body. And all the members of the body should work together. Now, you could be there, but not work together. Uh, you remember about a year ago, was up in Chicago, Betty and I, and she fell and she had broke her hand here. And even to this day, she does not have full use of that little bitty finger, that little bitty finger. And it, it still bothers her. It's connected but not as usable as it used to be, because something inside isn't working right. Now, you may have eyes, and they're connected, but they're not working right. That's why once in a while I have to pull these out. Say, so what are those? It helps me. I have a hearing aid in this ear. You know what that's for? I have ears, but it doesn't hear good. So I've got to make an adaption for it. God bless you. Don't you love it when somebody's trying to be so quiet? And then they drop their, their diamond ring. But as you study the scriptures, you'll find out God uses picture illustrations to help us to see. Now, he also uses two other ones. One is the shepherd and the sheep. So Christ says, I am the good shepherd. I am the great shepherd. I am the chief shepherd. He is the shepherd. Well, a shepherd needs sheep. That's what you need. It's like me saying, I'm the pastor. Well, do you have a flock? Well, no, there's no people. Well, I'm not much of a pastor if there's no people. I've got to have people in order to pastor them. So, shepherd and the sheep. And the sheep need a shepherd. Well, the shepherd, well, he needs some sheep. But there has to be this working together. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And the shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Now, I would question the wisdom of that. Here is a sheep, a dumb sheep. Dumb sheep. Can't even think. 
And I'm supposed to give my life for that dumb sheep that won't even know if I did or I didn't? I say, okay, well, if you could have that one. (laughs) I would not probably have made a good shepherd. David says that I killed a bear with my bare hands. Killed a lion. Now, would you fight a lion to save a sheep? Well, they did. But you see, God uses things in his word to give us a picture of how things work together. Do you know, with God's children, wouldn't it be great if all of God's children worked together? You'd be surprised what could be done. Do you realize just how many people did different jobs, say, for example, on Friday night? It wasn't that long, but it was that good. And a lot of people working, making sure that everything is right. I don't even think I saw Peter, but he was over there working. And he forfeited all this good stuff over here we were doing so he could be over there, and he was eating up all the food. <laughs> no, he was over there getting things ready. So then we got ready to go over there, and we got hungry. We could go over there and get something to eat. But it was, a, uh, it was good, but a lot of people working to make it happen. You see, one person can't do that. One person can't play all the instruments. One person can't do all the, the singing. It's a lot of people working together. I still believe that there's a lot of hidden talent out here. And I'm going to search till I find it. If I walk by you and I hear you humming, I might sign you up next week. So um, if I walk by you and you go, I might just pass you on by too. But there's another illustration that God uses in his word, and that's found in the book of John chapter 15 about the, the vine and the branches, the vine and the branches. He says, without me, you can do nothing because it's connected. Uh, the branches have the vine so they gets the juice so you can have the fruit. And he says, one needs the other. See, there's things that God uses to express, and he needs people to express his love through. You see, the world, they can't see God, but see, you and I, we know him. So God says, if I can live through you and use you as an expression of my love for them, then they'll know that I love them through you. So that's why whenever you're mean and ugly and hateful to your wife or to your kids or people where you work, you're not giving them the impression of what God is like. Just the opposite. And that's why you and I have a great responsibility. So... We'll cover this in more detail a little bit later. But right now, I want you to take your Bible and look in Hebrews in chapter 9. The book of Hebrews in chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, I want you to look there in verse 11. In verse 11. When we talk about the, the bread, which represents the body of Christ, and the grape juice, which represents the blood of Christ, did you know the Bible says in Leviticus 17, 11, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. It mentions two things, flesh, blood, the body, the blood. If the life of the flesh, the body, is in the blood, then the blood needs the body, and the body needs the blood. Because without each other, they have no purpose. Because the body can't operate without blood. Drain all your blood and see how you do. 
But when, what makes the blood? The body. You got bone marrow that produces blood. And so one needs the other. So there is not only union, but there's unity. Each one has to work together. When it comes to Christ coming into the world, and he uses this analogy between the body and the grape juice, because it pictures the, the death of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross for us. That's why I like to sing the song, There's Power in the Blood. Here in Hebrews in chapter 9 and verse 11, But Christ being come and high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, get this, and you ought to underline this in your Bible, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained, and get this, eternal redemption for us. He entered into the holy place one time, with his blood to obtain eternal redemption. That means make one eternal payment forever. Jesus Christ, with the scars in his hands and in his feet, is the living proof of payment. He is a receipt. You go to the restaurant, you buy something, they give you a receipt. That's proof that you paid for it. This in his hands and in his feet that's the proof. He is a living receipt for all eternity that he went into the holy place once to make a payment for the sins of the whole world. And as he says here, to obtain eternal redemption. Verse 13, for if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctify to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God. Purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this cause, we have an eternal redemption. We have eternal salvation. Christ died and paid for all the sins of the world. And all that we have to do, it's all that we can do, is to accept the payment he made for us and God gives to us as a free gift, everlasting life. Now, let me show you something. You're here this morning. And if you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want you to trust him. I want you to understand it. Now, this hand represents you and me. The wallet represents all the bad things that we do. It's our sins. And the Bible says that God loves us, but he hates our sin. Because, see, our sins have to be paid. Since we committed the sin, we have a debt. We have to pay for it. Wages means I earned the right to pay for it. I did it. The wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God. So everybody in this room has earned the right to go to hell, but not one person in this room has ever earned the right to go to heaven. But we've all earned the right to be eternally separated from God because we've all sinned and come short of the perfection of God. You see, heaven is perfect. There's no sin in heaven. And God is perfect. 
and heaven is perfect. And because of sin, see, we can't get in. So God says that you cannot save yourself. You can't get there by what you do. So all of our goodness, regardless of how good they may be, God says they're filthy rags. And that you'll never be good enough to go to heaven because that's the perfect place. And so that means you'd have to be perfect here in order to get there. And you don't know anybody like that. So God says you cannot save yourself. So it's not by going to church. It's not by giving money. It's not by promising to stop being bad and you're going to start being good. Or I'm going to get baptized. See, is going to church a good thing? Yes. Being baptized? Yes. All those are good things, but they don't get you to heaven. It's a death payment that God only accepts. Now, this hand represents Jesus Christ. He's the Lord. God in the flesh. Jesus Christ came into the world. Now, see, he's perfect. He has no sin. So he doesn't have to die. God can't die. So he came into the world and God used Mary to prepare him a body in which he would live in. And in that body, he would grow up and be tested. And everything you and I were tested in and failed. And he would obey perfectly all the righteous demands of God's law. And in those 33 and a half years that he lived, he never sinned. Never broke a commandment. Pleased the Lord in all things. There was no fault in him. He did not have to die because of anything that he's done. All of us, yes, we do. We deserve to die. He did not deserve to die. So because of his love for us, he could become a substitute for us. He would take our sins. And he took all the sin of all the world upon himself and died on the cross. He was buried and came back from the dead. And God says the only thing you and I can do is to believe. Because you can't be saved by your works. He says, but if you'll trust this payment he made. See, when I say would you accept the payment he made, Christ was the payment. You were accepting Jesus Christ as your payment for your sin. And so by doing so, he gives to you as a free gift eternal life. And you get to go to heaven on what Jesus Christ did for you. There's no tricks to it. There's no gimmick. Now, if I offered you my wallet and you accept you'd have an empty wallet. If I offered you this microphone and you accept you would have a microphone. Well, if Jesus Christ came in here and offered you eternal life and you accepted, what would you have? Eternal life. And if it's eternal life, it would last forever. And if it lasts forever, and all your sins are paid, where would you go when you die? To heaven. So can you know that you're going to heaven before you die? Yes. I have known for 49 years. I'm a little bit older than that. 49 years I know I'm going to heaven when I die. Is it because I'm good? No. It's not because I'm good. It's because he's good. He loved me. He paid for my sin. Well, he did the same thing for you. Only thing I ever did to go to heaven was to trust Christ as my Savior. I believe he did it for me. And God said, if you'll believe it with all your heart, not trust in anything else. You don't trust you. You don't trust the church. You don't trust the preacher. I can't get you there. You don't trust your good deeds. You must trust Jesus Christ and Him alone. 
And he said he would give you as a free gift everlasting life. And if it's everlasting life, how long would it last? Forever. If it lasts forever and all your sins are paid, where would you go when you die? You get to go to heaven whenever you die. Now that's a gift. That's free. Once you trust Christ as your Savior, and you believe that, it might be same day. It might be a week later. might be a month later. might be a year later. might be ten years later. You might decide, I, I need to be baptized. Not to get to heaven, but because you're going there. And it's a step of obedience. Don't let the devil rob you of something that's wonderful and sweet and precious. Because it's an obedience that you know I did what my father wanted me to do. I'm his child. I am not ashamed. But anyway, I hope that that's a decision you have to make. But you need to make it. And remember, no decision is a decision. But I simply want all of God's children to be obedient to the Lord. And that's a good place to start. Let's pray, shall we? With heads bowed and eyes closed and no one looking around. Friend, I have tried my dead level best to explain this critical issue as best I can. It grieves me deeply when there are so many that trust in their infant baptism as though it has something to do with saving them and getting them to heaven. And no doubt there's a lot of people that say, well, I'm going to heaven because I was baptized. Nobody's going to heaven because you were baptized. Did you trust Christ as your Savior? Do you believe he died on that cross, that he paid for your sins? Will you trust him and him alone as your only hope of going to heaven? Friend, in just a moment, I'm going to ask for a raise of hand. Raising your hand doesn't save you. But I'd like to know if what I said made sense. I don't know no way to do it except just by asking you. But I'm going to ask you in just a moment to raise your hand to let me know if you will accept Jesus Christ this morning as your Savior. I'm not asking you to join the church. I'm not asking you for money. I'm not asking you to change your life. I'm not asking you to be a religious hypocrite. I'm asking you to be honest and say something like this to the Lord. Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. I cannot save myself. And I hear and understand and believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ died on that cross and paid for my sins. That he was buried and came back again from the dead. And I believe he did it for me. And I will accept him right now as my only hope of going to heaven. And preacher, I'd like for you to pray for me. Would you just slip your hand up very quickly and put it right back down? Is anyone at all at this morning say, yes, I will trust Christ as my Savior. And I'd like for you to pray for me. Just slip it up very quickly and put it right back down. Anyone at all? Anyone at all? If you've already trusted Christ as Savior, you don't have to do it again. But if you've never done so, would you trust Him? I'm not going to embarrass you or point you out. It's over and done with when you make that decision. God knows who you are. Knows that you're trusting Him. And one at all before we close. If you have trusted Christ as your Savior, talk to the Lord about being baptized. Not because you have to, but because you want to. It's a step of obedience. Our Father, we thank you so much for this time together. We pray, Lord, your richest blessings upon each person here. And Father, I pray that they do understand that water baptism cannot save, doesn't even help.
It is a picture of the most important thing in a person's life. It's a picture of the greatest thing that can ever happen to a man, and that's to be saved. To believe that you died, was buried, came back and back from the dead, and that you did it for that individual. Thank you so much for this time together. We ask your blessings upon each family here. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. How permanent is your salvation? Can you lose it? Are you 100% sure that you'll go to heaven? To help you in answering that question, Pastor Yankee Arnold has prepared just the right book with answers straight from the Bible. The book is called Gospel Driven Man, and Pastor Yankee wants to send it to you free of charge. Simply write to Pastor Yankee at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634, and request the book or request by email at yankee at yankeearnold.com. That's yankee at yankeearnold.com. Jesus is coming, so keep looking up. Thanks for listening to today's broadcast. We pray that today's message was a blessing to you and your family. You may help support this radio ministry by donating online at yankeearnold.com or by mail at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Friend, one day it will happen. The trumpet will sound and we will be changed caught up to meet the Lord in the air. So live today and every day, believing that the Lord is coming soon, and just keep looking up. Amazing grace amazes me.